You know, there's a lot of speculation when it comes to our social and economic outcomes in the very near future. And while many people are getting their information from the talking heads on mainstream media, I like to look at the data for myself. And you know, there's always seems to be something more to learn, which is why I share my findings with you so that you can make your own, I don't know, educated choices and conclusions. Because when you look behind the scenes of a massively inflated stock market, well, you can see the parallels from record highs in other countries and their markets read Venezuela and what happens right before the crash and they start to reset their currencies. Well, you know, we've been talking about Venezuela quite a bit because there's not one doubt in my mind, but that we are on a similar path. And when you pay attention to the data on consumer sentiment and public confidence, I just got chills. You know, you get a glimpse of where we are in the timeline to complete disorder because this is a con game. The whole fiat money system is a con game and con games require public confidence. And once that confidence is lost, it's not easy to get back. And that's what I'm going to share with you today coming up. I'm Lynette Zhang, Chief Market Analyst here at ITM Trading, a full-service physical gold and silver dealer specializing in custom strategies. And I hope you have one. I hope you have a strategy because we know the powers that be have one. However, their strategies might be under being undermined right now, right as we speak. And I'll show you why I say that. And you know, we know that the stock market is at all time highs and it's made, I think something like 40 something new highs this year alone. Well, easy to do on easy money. And people think that it can last forever, but I'm not so sure that that's really, actually, I know that's not really the case. It, it can last longer than you would think, but it cannot last forever. Now I bring up margin debt. For those that aren't familiar with it, that is using your equity in a brokerage account where you might have mutual funds, stocks, bonds, etc., and you can borrow against that. It works great on the way up because that's leverage, right? And you're borrowing and as the stocks become, um, go higher in your portfolio, you can borrow even more, even more, even more. And we certainly see what happened here in that March low 2020, when the Fed came in with massive amounts of stimulus, who they were stimulating. But this little shift, and we'll have to keep an eye on it because as leverage promotes stocks, higher stock prices on the way up, it can also implode prices on the way down. Leverage is great on the way up, but very destructive on the way down. Here you going back to September, 2018 to December of 2018, you can see when the margin decline 
the S&P declined by 20% during that period of time. Of course, we need a whole lot more deleveraging, but we need to pay attention to what's happening in the margin uh, world because this could be a pattern shift that could indicate a decline in the markets. July was just the first drop in margin debt after a 15 month spike. And maybe it was just a go on vacation summer lull, or maybe it was the first step in a persistent decline. And there is so much hot air in these markets. The question is, what will the Fed do? Can they come in and grow their balance sheet even more right at a time when frankly, they're talking about tapering, which is not selling their holdings, forget that one, but just not buying as much. And right now they're doing 120 billion a month between treasuries and mortgage-backed securities. So let's take a look at what that looks like because in order to keep the markets propped up, so number one, you out there in the public, look at the stock markets making a new high and you don't mind continuing to contribute in your 401k and your IRAs or, or look, there's been a massive rush as we've talked about, a massive rush of new investors with all that stimulus money going into these markets. But I mean, look at the buyers of a lot of the stocks and the bonds are the Fed, the ECB and the Bank of Japan. This bench had turned, has turned the US Federal Reserve, the European Central Bank and the Bank of Japan into the ultimate market whales, biggest in the market, swelling their combined assets to 24 trillion. Now, you know, we, we, we talk about trillions and billions as, as if it's nothing, but compare trillions to your income or your wealth. Okay. You have, even if you have a grand portfolio, it's minuscule compared to what the central banks have been accumulating all to keep it hidden from the public, all to keep the public confidence. And what this really does is it transfers wealth and enables income and wealth inequality. So we've talked about the global central banks kind of shifting from their stance, the Fed being one, talk is that they may start tapering in September, so next month, but if we are entering a stock market route, can they taper? Where do they have to inject even more cash in? Although all the cash that they're putting in really isn't working. It really isn't stimulating. So, you know, we have to look at these things. And the other thing that I'd like to point out though, I didn't circle it, but I'll show you. Look at this gap. The blue are the balance sheets and the red is the S&P 500. And you can see that there is a little bit of a gap here and a little bit of a gap there but look at how big that gap is there. That is telling you that it takes more and more to get results. And there is a limit. There's a limit to public confidence. I mean, they can keep doing this as long as the public trusts them, but well, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. 
And again, all this has really done is transferred wealth and enabled income and wealth inequality because more than 60%, heck, more than 30%, almost 40% went to the top 1%, but more than 60% went to the top 10% and then the rest of it. Keeping in mind that we have also a retirement epidemic that's going on, the lack of funding in there. I mean, you know, it's just topic after topic after topic. These markets are breaking down and who's going to eat it in the end? Of course, you know, but you also do know that not only can they not, you know, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what happens if they really do attempt a taper. They've been trying to prepare the markets for it for a long time. And they're talking about doing everything glacially. So what will they do? Cut back by 1 billion? I don't know. But it's really, really fascinating to watch this whole thing unfold. If you're prepared for it, if you're not prepared for it, it should be scaring the crap out of you and it should inspire you to get prepared because we only have as much time as we have. And I can't tell you that on Tuesday morning at 8.35, everything is going to implode, but it could, and it could happen just that quickly. And part of the part of what we've been witnessing in this massive stock market rally is that there is no breath. In other words, the whole market is not participating. Just a few, the fangs that are lifting the S&P and the markets much, much higher. And the fangs are, you know, all the us usual Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, Google, and well, I don't remember what the S is. Let's see. Well, there's Tesla in there, all of those. And they are a full 27% of this market cap. Just eight stocks, the fan group of Facebook, Apple, Amazon, there you go. Microsoft, Google, Alphabet, alongside Netflix, Nvidia, and Tesla accounted for more than half of the S&P 500 7.6 gains since May 12th, plus all of that leverage. And remember here, you want a broad base. I talk about this all the time. Gold and silver has the most functionality. It has the broadest base of buyer. You want that broad base? so that there's more participation, then that is a conservative position and that is a much less volatile and stable position because there's always, there's always a buyer for gold and silver since it's used across every, every part of the global economy. These stocks where there being eight stocks that are the majority mover of this, of this rally, well, if they start to decline, remember all of that margin, all of that leverage to buy it and bid it up, it works even more rapidly on the way down. But you don't really have to worry too much about that because after all, the powers that be, oh, they certainly have our backs. Now, for those that have been listening to me for a while, you've heard me talk about interfund lending. 
interfund lending happens behind the scenes. You probably didn't even know about it, but it's the ability of one fund to borrow from another fund up until March 23rd in the same family. And that means that even if you are sitting in what you consider the most conservative fund, uh, let's say government money market fund, the reality is, is it is only as safe as the riskiest of those funds because that is a borrowing. So they use whatever equity is in there. But what happened last March, or not last March, but March 2020, there was clearly a run. And so they changed the rules. And what they did was they permit funds to use additional funding and other tools to manage their portfolios for the benefit of investors. Garbage. For the benefit of the markets. And how did they do that? Well, the relief that they put in place is designed to provide funds with additional tools to manage their portfolios for the benefit of all shareholders as investors may seek to rebalance their investments. In other words, sell. And they have to come up with money for liquidation because if they can't, you know about it. So it is in the investor's benefit for you not to realize that there is a run happening by borrowing the money for those liquidations from the other funds. Now, as long as more money comes in, they have the ability to pay that. So if the stock market goes up, okay, then people put more money into stocks and this can remain hidden, but it gets even better. In other words, mutual funds, okay, so they appear to have the liquidations, but further, this was necessary, this is how they justify it. Necessary and appropriate to the public interest and consistent with the protection of investors because if everybody else is running and you're sitting in the fund, then you eat it in the shorts. That's what happened with uh, back in 2008 with that prime money market fund. It broke the buck. In other words, it went below a, a dollar per share and since, since fund companies try and make sure that it remains at a dollar. So you think of it like it's a savings account. You don't realize it. And Hey, have we not been talking a lot about reverse repos and what's happening in the money market funds? I mean, they're not as safe as you think they are. And this just adds another layer of susceptibility here. It's not a good thing. It relief permitting registered open-end funds and insurance companies separate accounts. So if you have a variable annuity, that's what they're talking about, to borrow money from certain affiliates. So no longer staying within that family, you can go outside of that family. And by the way, insurance companies weren't part of that. Uh, you'll have the link, you can go in and you can see who is who got approved for interfund lending. But this change opens it up to everybody. Just, you don't even have to have approval. You can just go in and do it. It also permits additional flexibility under existing interfund lending arrangements and extends the ability to use interfund lending arrangements to funds that do not 
currently have exemptive relief, which means they have not been approved for this, but hey, they can participate. And you can go between, no longer does it have to stay within the same family. It can go to different families. That means that whatever your holdings are as as risky as whoever borrowed them. And you have no idea who that might be. And actually neither do I. And that's not data that I could ferret out because it's really, really buried. But it also permits registered open end funds to enter into lending arrangements or borrowings that deviate from fundamental policies. But don't worry because it's subject to prior board approval. So not only is the Fed experimenting, but the SEC is allowing fund managers to experiment. And keep in mind that you and I as taxpayers are responsible for the Fed's balance sheet. So we're responsible for their or we're taking the risk of all of their experiments. And if you're sitting in funds, you're taking that risk too. Though the reality is, is nobody's gonna be unscathed by this whole explosion. So it is critical. I mean, that's why they're printing and pumping in so much money. Can they withdraw it? No, they can't. They can't. They can try and it'll be interesting to see. And they're gonna have to for credibility purposes, they're gonna have to. It'll just be interesting to watch this whole thing unfold. So the other piece in here, the commission may provide additional relief as circumstances warrant. So they're gonna come up with even more experiments. <coughs> Excuse me. And all of this, is hidden from the public. Because if you actually knew what they were doing with what you were thinking of as your savings that you were putting back for your retirement or to fund a college education or to fund a lifestyle, if you really understood all of the shenanigans and garbage that they create and experiments that they do, you pay them and you take all the risk. And when this thing implodes, who eats it in the shorts? You do. You have to ask yourself, is this okay with me? Because it's not okay with me. As an ex-stockbroker, I have a high level of comfort and, and obviously I understand this crap. That's why I personally do not own any stocks, any bonds, any annuities, any of that stuff. I don't because I'm really well aware of how at risk that wealth is. What do I own? Physical gold and silver, the only financial asset that runs no counterparty risk. Everything else is all counterparty risk. But who cares? Because happy days are here again. And the Fed's just going to keep pumping in money. And, you know, we, we kind of think of it like it's their money, but it's really our money. And the more that they pump into the system, the more new money that they create, the less value the money that's out there already has. To update what Benjamin Graham, the father of value investing, once said, in the short run, the market is a narrative machine. 
So does what happened in Afghanistan matter? Heck no. Well, it might matter a little bit. Markets are, are down today. But generally, any kind of bad news, markets just shrugged off because they were rising tides of liquidity, lots of money to put into the markets. And after all, the Fed has your back. But in the long run, it is a narrative debunking machine. Stocks of 40 times profits are cheap. No, 15 times earnings is the average that a stock a reasonable stock valuation. So we know markets are severely overvalued because of all of the new money that has gone into them. But hey, it keeps going up. This is like, you know, going and playing the big six in Las Vegas and you put your money down on a square and you spin that wheel. And if it hits, you make a lot of money. And if it misses, you lose everything. And pretty much that's what this feels like to me. Stock market again has made like 40 some odd new highs this year alone on that massive liquidity bubble, which includes margin call, which includes the margin uh, debt. Never, ever, ever forget this one. This is probably the single most, most important concept for you to understand. Confidence maintains order so that they can continue to rob you of your work and your wealth and you comply. You just keep your wealth in there. You keep putting new money in there. But consumer sentiment plunges to the lowest level since 2011. A stunning deterioration, far more than the Fed or any of the economists anticipated, just like last week's CPI and PPI. So the inflation numbers exploded much higher than was anticipated. So the Fed can keep coming out and saying everything is transitory as much as it wants, but it doesn't look like the public is buying it like they once did. We are a consumer driven economy. Something like 70% of all of the money that flows through the system is based on consumers purchases. So it's not good when consumer sentiment plunges because people don't spend money as freely. What are their concerns? Well, they talk about the virus concerns and that, that's a concern, but it is about really their economic prospects. Are they gonna be able to make enough money to live? Because even the increase in wages that we've seen doesn't make up for the inflation numbers. So they're still not able to buy as much. This is an index of personal finance expectations for today and next year. So that's telling me and telling everybody that consumers see inflation going out. This is not transitory to them and it's not transitory period. And for those big ticket items like real estate, autos, durable goods, 
Well, you know, inflation causing sticker shock. You think real estate went up on average, so some places were more, some places were a little less, but they went up 23% year over year. This is your house, your home, but Wall Street is involved in it. So it's not really a big shocker and they have access to money for free. And even when they take on debt to build or to buy, what do they do? They package that debt into a financial product and sell it back to you in your retirement plan, your, in your 401k, etc. So this top one is showing you homes and vehicles. And that's a pretty big plunge on both. And that goes back to, let's see, when is that? Oh, early 1980s. What else was happening in the early 1980s? We were transitioning into a new debt-based fiat monetary system. And the central banks had been handed over their role in controlling the rate and speed of inflation. I do not think that this is a coincidence that it goes back to, to the 1980s. I mean, we've been watching a lot of headlines talk about the roaring 20s, right? 1920s as we were kicking off. And also, you know, we can see that this is not really a good sign. This is a really negative sign for those that are in power. Because if people are concerned about their income, they aren't gonna spend. And if 70% of the economy is based on the consumer, then what happens to the economy? It's not gonna get the lift off that they're trying to get. And people are starting to recognize, you know, where we were told, we look, in the 70s and the 80s, inflation was a bad word. And I remember that. I remember having a five-year CD at 15%. So it's kind of good for me. But generally speaking, and I was young then, so who really even knew? But inflation was not a good word. It's become, well, they've been trying to stuff it down our throats that inflation is good. Well, a lot of the economic growth is based on inflation. Because if they can force you to spend $20 on a banana and you got to eat, you got to have a banana, that goes into the GDP. See how great the GDP is doing? Except when you take it down to the individual level and the individual's going, yeah, well, I just got this great raise, but I still can't afford that banana. Maybe this is not so good for me. No, inflation is not so good for you. It was baked into the whole fiat money system, getting you to work for less when you think you're working for more. And then these are durable goods. And even though in 2008, so washing machines and, you know, that kind of stuff, even, even so, you saw it this low back in 2008 when everything was imploding, but that too goes back to the early 80s. That's not good. Well, you know, I mean, it's really, it's not good because what that's really showing me is that there is a loss of confidence that is happening. And doubt 
equals disorder and loss of control and loss of believability for when the central bank trots things out and says, but this is just temporary, but the economy is growing so well. Oh, things are great. Hunky-dory. I love this headline. U.S. home builder sentiment drops to 13-month low as costs bite. Now, again, we saw real estate prices go up on average 23% year over year. And this has been one group that's been doing great. Now, this next graph that I'm going to show you is kind of hard to see, but, you know, all of this is posted on the blog. And this is uh, the high costs and the supply chains. That has not been fixed. Ports are clogged in China. The third largest uh, good seaport is partially closed. In California, they have boats waiting to come in and dock. All of that increases the costs to the consumer. And while some businesses will attempt to overcome that, smaller packaging, higher prices, they've been pushing the envelope to see how much the consumer will eat of that higher inflation and those higher costs. You get to a point, and that's where we are right now, where the consumer's going, no, no, I will not eat that. So because this is such a dark chart, I have the top line showing you where it was and the bottom line showing you where it is and that the, the um, home builder sentiment has dropped, going all the way back to a 13-month low, which is when all of this, the pandemic started to unfold. This are buyer, this is buyer traffic. It's easier to see because that line is white, but you can see how it has begun to drop. Now, we know the moratoriums, the evictions have been postponed again for a while, but you know, at some point, that's going to have to come off because how much can you, how much could a mom and pop eat of those costs, even if they're not getting rental income, they're not getting their income, well, they still have to pay their taxes, their property taxes on it, their insurance on it. Those properties at some point will be coming back on the market and coming into it with sentiment down, not really from the home builders as much as it is from the community, from the public. You don't want a flood of new real estate in an already severely overvalued real, overvalued real estate environment. And then this came out today. Drop in U.S. retail sales. Now, they then go on to say, underscore shift to service spending. It's garbage. Okay, they've got to offset that, but you can see retail sales, which not only includes brick and mortar, but it also includes e-commerce, so online retail. Uh-oh. Again, consumer-driven economy, the consumer has to consume. We've given the, well, the government has given the consumer lots of free money, but do you see why I'm saying, you know, at some point in here, and it's already begun, 
they the child tax care credit is definitely a form of UBI, even though it doesn't go out to everybody. It goes out to everybody that has a child. You make less than four hundred thousand a year, and you're not going to be responsible to pay any of that back. They've changed that, right? So that anybody under four hundred thousand won't have to pay it back. But <clears throat> this could well be the turning point. And what I mean by that is that this could be the point at which the the public loses full confidence in the central banks, in the governments, in the banking system, in Wall Street. I mean, we've seen it with Reddit and the Wall Street Rebellion and all of that, and that was the beginning of it. So I'm not really prepared to say absolutely 100% that this is the turning point, but I think it's so obvious to people now. It's kind of hard for me to believe that it's not obvious to people right now how manipulated the entire system is against you and against me. But if that's not enough to tell you, well, we'll let Jim Cramer do that. How about that? Do you have the sound up on this? Oops. Oops. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Sorry about that. Okay. I'm going to go back and I'm going to start this again because this is important. Are we ready? Welcome to Wall Street Confidential. I'm Aaron Task, joined again by Jim Cramer. Jim, welcome. Good to see you. Turn it up. Thanks for being here. Uh, there's a lot of economic data out today, but I want to talk about something else first. Again, today we have the misdirection from the futures. The futures pointing to an up market, and as of right now, stocks are down again. Is this just because it's the holiday period that we're seeing this? You know, a lot of times when I was short at my hedge fund and I was positioned yeah, short, meaning I needed it down, uh, I would uh, create a, um, a level of activity beforehand that could drive the futures. It doesn't take much money. Uh, similarly, if uh, or if I were long and I would want to make things a little bit rosy, I would go in and take a bunch of stocks and make sure that they are they're higher and maybe commit five million in capital to do it, and I could affect it. Uh, what you're seeing now is maybe it probably is bigger market now. Maybe you need ten million in capital to knock this stuff down, but it's a fun game and it's a lucrative game, and you you can move it up and then fade it. That's all often creates a very negative feel. So let's say you take a longer term view intraday. And you say, listen, I'm going to boost the futures, and then when the real sellers come in, real market comes in, they're going to knock it down, and it's going to create a negative, uh, negative view. That's a strategy very worth doing when you're, va when you're valued on a day-to-day -day basis. And I would encourage anyone who's in the hedge fund game to do it because it's legal, right. and it, um, it is a very quick way to make money and very satisfying. Okay. Um, well, oh, by the way, no one else in the world would ever admit that, but I can care. That's right, and you can say that here. I can't. I'm not going to say it on TV. <laughs> uh, well, on a related note, there's so many more hedge funds today than when you were right. managing your hedge fund. Right. Do you think that, that, does that exacerbate the moves or does it make it well, tougher? Well, you know, uh, the hedge funds are positioned long short, okay, not just long like mutual funds. So it's really vital these next six days because of your payday. You've really got to control the market. You can't let it lift. When you get a research in motion, yeah, it's really important control this to use a lot of your firepower to knock that down because it's the fulcrum of the market today. So I mean, let's say I were, uh, I were short. What I would do is I would hit a lot of guys with rim. Now you can't foment. That's a violation of, of ferment. Yeah, you can't foment. foment. You can't create a yourself an impression that a stock's down, but you do it anyway because the SEC doesn't right. understand it. So you, I mean, it's that's the only sense that I would say this is illegal. But a, a hedge fund, 
that's not up a lot really has to do a lot now to save itself. So um, this is different from what I was talking about at the beginning where I would be buying the cues and stuff. Right. This is actually just blatantly illegal. But when you have six days and your company may be in doubt because you're down, I think it's really important to foment uh, if I were one of these guys, for men, an impression that research in motion isn't any good because research in motion is the key today. So, you know, you would you would hit this guy and that guy, and when you would see an offering, when you see a guy who's bidding, you'd wipe out that guy very quickly. And what I used to do um, was called, if I wanted to go higher, I would take and bid, take and bid, take and bid. Um, and if, um, if I wanted to go lower, I'd hit an offer, hit an offer, hit an offer. And I could get a stock like RIM for maybe, that might cost me 15, 20 million. Annie to knock Rim down, but it would be fabulous because it would beleaguer all the moron longs who are also keen on research and motion. So there I see we're seeing, on today yeah, we're seeing that. That's you know again, when your company's in a survival mode, it's really important to defeat research and motion and get the Pisani's of the world and the people talking about it as if there's something wrong with Rim. Then you would call the journal and you get the Bozo reporter on research and motion and you would feed that there's a Palm's got a killer it's going to give away. These are all the things you must do on a day like today. And if you're not doing it, maybe you shouldn't be in the game. Okay. So, you know, do you think maybe that the central banks and the governments are in a position where they have to keep those markets up and they have to manipulate the price of gold because they don't want you in it. It is, according to the Bank for International Settlements, the only financial asset that runs no counterparty risk. The only one. Everything else, they're all contracts. They're all full counterparty risk. And they have the narrowest base of buyer because it's only in the financial system. Where you're looking at physical gold and silver with the broadest base of buyer. And it benefits the central banks to allow the gold price to be manipulated because a rising gold price is an indication of a failing currency. And, and think about it for yourself. If you are one of the fortunate and smart ones that realize that this currency is failing, well, then I know you're buying gold and silver. And if you're not, why not? What are you procrastinating about? You know the truth. That does show you how easy it is to manipulate it sometimes, as one of the manipulators said, right? But additionally, I mm, the market around a lot. I mean, it's easy to do. Kramer just told me, yeah, it's easy. All you need, look at the derivative contracts on gold. 150 bucks controls like almost a million dollars in gold. That's leverage. And they teach each other because this is a very lucrative game for them. For those of us that are, and, I, and actually, I, I gotta say, I appreciate the fact that gold and silver are so far below under, you know, their true valuations because I prefer to have most of my wealth in an undervalued real asset that is in a long-term positive trend and the least amount of my wealth in an overvalued instrument like the dollar or the euro or the yen that is in a long-term negative trend. One look at the purchasing power chart, which I did not put up here, shows you it is in a negative trend. I wanted to push the market price to my true intended trade. This, who, Lankin, who worked at Merrill's London office from 2007 to 2013 testified. 
I knew it was wrong to do, but it helped us make money and get trades done, he said. You've got to make money. If you don't make money, you're out of there. Confidence is required. Is this the end of the confidence? It could be. It absolutely could be. This is something that I pay a lot of attention to and I'll keep you posted because it could be. If you don't hold it, you don't own it. And your perception means nothing in a court of law. So I hold it, I own it, it runs no counterparty risk. And like the Bank for International Settlement says, gold held at home doesn't even run political risk. Woohoo! I've got to tell you, you know, I mean, things have been speeding up and you've seen that I've done a lot more. I've been pulling a lot more headlines. There isn't enough time to go through everything, but this could be the turning point. So you want to really be paying attention. And if you haven't completed your strategy, food, water, energy, security, barterability, wealth preservation, community, and shelter. What are the holes in your strategy? Get them filled and get them filled quickly because this confidence piece is huge. And once that confidence is lost, central banks aren't getting it back. The system isn't getting it back. Hyperinflation will eat everything else that you have in that system. And then you'll see gold and silver start to express to their true fundamental value, while the other overvalued assets and instruments plunge to their fundamental value. And everything typically overshoots, right? Undervaluation to fair valuation to overvaluation to fair valuation to undervaluation constantly, right? Right now, gold and silver are down here. Eventually, they'll be there. You'll take advantage of it if you have the strategy. And, and hopefully, you will, you know, I mean, I believe that because history shows us those repeatable patterns. And speaking of that, um, what do we have coming up for, well, this week? Oh, for next week, I'm on with, well, today I'm on with Martin North walk the world this afternoon. I don't know when that'll go out, but you stay tuned and we'll let you know. And next week I'm going to be on a coffee with Lynette with my good friend, George Gammon. And, uh, I'm always excited to talk to him. That is one smart man. And I really have a lot of respect for him. And I always love our interviews anyway. So if you want to start your gold and silver strategy, just schedule a Calendly. You can find the link in the description or call us. That's pretty simple, but you need to have a strategy and you need to have it now. If you haven't already though, this is definitely the time to subscribe and turn on those bell notifications. So, you know, when we go live and you guys know my preference is to do things live, but there's so much that's unfolding. You want to hear about it as soon as I do leave us a comment, please give us a thumbs up 
and make sure that you share, share, share this material, share this material with everybody that you care about or anybody that you know. And until tomorrow, as you know, I a hundred bazillion percent know that it is time to cover your assets. And of course, here at ITM Trading, we like real money. Hold it, own it in your possession as the foundation of this strategy. That has not always been the case. And in the future, you know, we'll see how things unfold. It won't always be the case. It's not just that you buy it and you sit in it. It is a complete strategy, but it is the only, those are the only undervalued assets. And the funny thing is that they're real money and have been for thousands of years. So until next we meet, please be safe out there. Bye-bye.